to Rationally Writing. I'm Dave Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is Episode 8, Types of Conflict in Fiction. Okay, so to start with, why do we care about conflict in fiction? It's fairly widely recognized as one of the major stumbling blocks when you don't have a conflict in your in your story, even if it's not guns and running and explosions kind of conflict. Yeah, I would actually go so far as to say that without conflict, you don't have a story. I mean, you can have, you can have prose. You can have a series of events that occur. Yeah, you can you can write you know fifty pages free of conflict, but then it's not it's not going to be a story because there can't be any without conflict there can't be a, any resolution to it. There can be a sequence of events, but but no real narrative. Right, conflict is the plot. Yeah, you have you have a character and they want something and something prevents them from getting that, and that can be passive whether it's just like I don't want to die. Um, that's that's a fairly passive form of um goal of goal yeah or it can be active like trying to defeat death right and that's an important distinction that those there's a difference between something that you want and you just have to avoid things and something that you want and something's opposing you which we'll go into with the different kinds of conflict yeah so the five ones that we're going to cover are man versus man man versus society man versus nature man versus self and man versus technology and man here is a word just being used to represent mankind, humanity, not necessarily men, and also actually not necessarily meaning mankind. If your story is about aliens, uh, that's fine too. Yeah, that's how I was taught in high school English, and that I'm not going to change now. So. <laughs> um, so to start with, man versus man is you have one person or sometimes a small group against another person or a small group, usually. That's uh, Superman, Lex Luthor is man versus man conflict. There's a lot of different kinds of antagonists that show up in this setting, so it can be something benign, like in young adult fiction, it might be something like our team is trying to win the uh, sport game or the science fair or whatever it is, versus their team that's trying to win the sport, sports game or the science fair or whatever it is. Or it can be life and death situation of that person's trying to kill me and I don't want to die. Yeah, and there are, there are a lot of there are a lot of different ways that you can set it up. You can do good and evil, evil and evil, pit different ideologies against each other, or stay within a single ideology that both sides are in agreement with. In agreement with, and it's just a question of means rather than ends. Right. So the this very uh, classic way of setting up a conflict in a story. It can be a little cliche. I think that if your story is pitting your protagonist against a singular antagonist, I think you need to have a really good antagonist, because otherwise people are just going to, especially in rational fiction, they're just going to... Get bored. Uh, get, get bored, yeah. yeah. And that's the last thing that you want is for a person to get bored while reading your story, because they'll just set it down and not ever pick it up again. And this is one of those things that is probably the most common conflict that you find in stories, uh, even stories that are ostensibly about the other kinds of conflicts will have nestled in them some some aspect of man versus man as like a subplot or something. But also it, I think, has the most opportunity for individuality because as we'll talk about man versus society and man versus nature, man versus technology, those are things that can be very broadly understood and, and applied by many different people. But just like you define your own characters the most as a writer, you can define your antagonists the most as a writer. So as part of the process of writing, the most individuality can be found in the antagonists, if it's man versus man, opposed to some of the other antagonists that might be society or nature or whatever it is. Yeah. Star Trek is a, a pretty good example, because um, Gene Roddenberry, when he first pitched Star Trek, he wanted there to not ever be conflict within between different characters on the ship. He wanted them to, like, 
not have interpersonal conflict. That was part of his like utopian vision of the future. And then they did away with that very quickly because it's very difficult to write a story where you have like five or ten or whatever principal characters completely in agreement. Right. Even if they're on the same side and have the same goals and the same overall methodology, there's going like without that conflict and disagreement, you're going to have, first of all, a hard time keeping the story entertaining for an extended period of time. You can do it with a with a one episode or two episodes or something, but over a long enough storyline, it, it might get very easily boring. But more than that, your characters aren't going to change as nearly as much without interpersonal conflict. Um, characters can change as a result of, of man versus society, man versus nature, obviously man versus self, man versus technology, but I think man versus man has some of the most dramatic and deep moments of change that, that you can, the dramatic moments of change, because when you have characters interacting with each other, you have the most complex values conflicts that can occur. Yeah, and, and the most defined values conflicts, right. because, you know, a society is a amorphous thing and you can ascribe values to it but it's not never going to be as strong as a single person or a like a small ideologically aligned group mm -hmm. so man versus society then um that is it's the same thing as man versus man it's values conflict against another like intelligent entity in some way but it's just on a larger scale and it's more diffused i guess right it's Usually. a it's a zeitgeist it's a, a narrative it's something that that's all around the character instead of directed by one person or, or concentrated in one person so a lot of the dystopian novels like 1984 or fahrenheit 451 brave new world they had the whole man wakes up in a society not wakes up literally obviously but has an awakening in this in society and realizes that the society all around them is corrupt or dystopian or evil or whatever it is and fights against that that evil in it or that corruption in it or that sense of uh, enoir and you yeah yeah um and one one of the things there is you very often see in man versus society society is typified in a or the, the bad aspect of society is typified in a single individual mm -hmm. In the Matrix trilogy, that's very much man versus society, at least the first movie. But you still have Agent Smith. There. Yeah, you still have Agent Smith acting as the the primary antagonist, even though the overall antagonist is the Matrix itself and the the machines, right? Like, and, the system of control, right? And that's actually very important too, because it's it reflect, reflects how often that character in that society is simply a mouthpiece, simply a part, and we'll often even say that they're just a part in the machine, revel in that in a certain way. They they tend to be someone who's very much the, for the greater good of the society, outlook, which is what makes the protagonist so much of a relatable character, because we all tend to, at some moment, disagree with the society at large around us, especially if we live in particularly corrupt societies. Yeah, or if you're more ideological, mm -hmm. I think that the more ideological you are, the more problems you have with society in general. Yeah. There's a lot of good stories that can come out of this kind of conflict, and a lot of great social commentary, obviously, and political insight that can come from these kinds of stories. The danger, I think, comes also, though, where it's it's also a very, just like man versus man is very easy to have a puppy-kicking, obviously evil villain, man versus society can very easily fall into something like The Fountainhead by Iron Man, which is just kind of makes a straw man out of ideological societies that the writer disagrees with, and just makes it unrealistic and, and kind of hard to 
even if you agree with their politics or their worldview, you recognize that this is a society that doesn't actually reflect a real society that they're warning us about. So it, there's a danger in kind of writing too much of a parable and not enough of a story when you when you set a man versus society kind of plot. Yeah. And and you need to I mean, if you're going to make a dystopia, make it, you know, you have to think about how these people are behaving within the dystopia. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I mean, that, that applies to man versus man as well. Like if someone's kicking a puppy, there should be a reason that they're kicking a puppy. And you know, there are, like, evil people in the world. Like, there are people who just kick puppies for fun. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not unrealistic necessarily, but it's not very thoughtful. Like, you're you're removing that analytical aspect of it out. You have to be, I think, especially in Man vs. Man, Man vs. Society, you need to be very careful that you're leaving some room for thought. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of good stories that can be told with very simple villains or very simple antagonists. But in that case, you, you have to work that much harder to make the rest of it engaging and complicated enough to keep interest, especially if you're writing rational fiction, obviously. If you're not, then, you know, you can make great commercial success ignoring all of this. Right. One other thing about Man vs. Society. So you have the Man versus Institution, which is mm-hmm. like you're going up against the Men in Black or whatever. And society isn't necessarily on Complicit. their side. Yeah. yeah. And usually that's uh, like a quest to try to expose them to the light of day and then they'll go away. And that's the resolution. You can have man versus like society at large, like you're fighting against racism or something Mm -hmm. and it's out in the world. And you know, I don't know what your resolution is necessarily going to be there. It's probably not going to be, you know, destroying racism forever unless you want to be like really, I guess, sappy about it. Aesopish. Yeah. Again, this is the danger where you make it too easy or make it too simple for the good guys and the bad guys to be defined and then have good conquer. Yeah. And and then beyond that, there is, so Scott, Scott Alexander wrote Meditations on Moloch, which is sort of about these local optimization processes that result in a, in a bad world. Mm-hmm. It's like if you work at a company or you work in government, one of the reasons that they're just really woefully inefficient is that you have all these individuals who don't actually care about the success of the company. And they're all just they're all just getting their own paycheck mm-hmm. and they're trying to look good to their superiors. And you have these local optimization processes that make the company or the government sluggish and inefficient. And I say that having worked for both federal government and fortune 500 companies right i I did contract work and there's just so much of that and that that's a very different type of man versus society conflict because you're not fighting against anyone you're not even fighting against a person's own it's not like you're fighting against racism right In in a sense you're fighting not just something that's learned but you're fighting a series of conflicting incentives that are not easy or or readily understandable even yeah and I, I think that's very rare that you see that addressed in fiction is that because it's easier to think there are some bad people in the world or there's mm-hmm. like a single bad person in the world or conspiracies. Yeah, are... there's a bad institution. But to right. fight against this thing that no one is controlling, I think that's a lot more difficult. Um, yeah. And it requires a lot more thought, which is why I feel like it's really ripe for rational fiction. One of my favorite quotes from that is the idea that almost no one is evil, almost everything is broken. And there's, even not within a single institution, government or, or private, when multiple institutions have, are following their own incentives, and it's totally justified for them to follow those incentives, but them following their incentives causes a negative sum 
uh, game for everyone involved. Uh, it's very hard to break them out of that because there's a number of reasons why one person breaking out of that would not cause other people to. And, you know, tragedy of the commons or other such situations like that can make it very hard for there to be a, a clean solution to it. Yeah. And I would like to see more stories like that. And I've tried writing stories like that. But I think one of the reasons it's hard to is because there aren't clean cut, easy solutions to these problems. These are things that people are still struggling to define and tackle and present real easy solutions to. So the kind of story that this would take place where, where this is addressed would be more of the long, slow work of raising awareness, making coalitions, educating the generation after generation, things like that. And that doesn't quite make for as quick and flashy an action plot as most novels or, or movies rely on. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've actually tried to have in the background of uh, Glim Warden mm-hmm. is, is that there are like these failures that aren't really anyone's fault. Right. Just, you know, I, I do get quite a few comments on that, that people are like, oh, why, why aren't they doing X? Like this would make the town better. And it's like, <laughs> well, they is individuals following their own incentives right? and, and having coordination problems. And it, and so it's, it's very tempting if you're writing your own world or even like adapting in fan fiction, mm-hmm. someone else's world, it's very tempting to just make things work. Yeah. And and not have those coordination failures. Because, right. you know, sometimes there's no one standing in the way. It's not even a matter of individual preferences, right? Because everyone would agree that the world would be better. And sometimes there, there are natural uh, forces that are making it hard for people even to come together on issues. Like as much as some things can unite people, they can also cause them to have different priorities. So Manvers Nature is the next type of story, and it's usually it has something to do with a, um individual surviving against the elements or a society surviving against an outside force, like an asteroid coming down or global warming on a muck or something like that. And it can be a impersonal force of any kind. So it's metaphorical, right? It doesn't have to be nature, literally nature. It could be a force of nature, like an individual that doesn't actually act like a human or that we don't understand like a human. So slasher films that have a mindless killer going around who doesn't really have any kind of motivation that we understand or follow any any logic that we can follow would be considered like a force of nature. Yeah, I've seen movies and I've read books where there's like an asteroid about to impact Earth and that is not the central conflict. Right, which is which is what I was saying earlier, where like even if there's a an asteroid coming to to destroy the Earth, there's still conflict on the man versus man scale or the man versus society scale. Yeah, there's there was one I uh, book I read it was the last policemen and like they they know that this asteroid is coming down to destroy the earth and so like a lot of people have committed suicide and there's like not anything that anyone can do about it and so it's just sort of in the background and they never they never deal with it the story isn't about dealing with it it's about yeah it's a murder mystery that sort of takes place in the end of days and people are like why are you trying to solve this you know why does this matter at all if everyone is going to die in the next, like, two months? Right. Which I, I thought was really interesting, but it's a way that you can sort of sidetrack around that problem. So, Man vs. Nature, yeah, it's, you have this impersonal force. Hatchet, I think, sort of typifies the survival right. aspect of it. And I think what you see a lot is, in Man vs. Nature, is this 
sort of concrete problem solving if you have no other types of conflict mixed in. So like The Martian has interpersonal conflicts in it. But the majority of the story is man versus nature in that he and all the people back on Earth are trying to solve concrete problems of how he can survive. Yeah. And and I, I think that is that can be a big benefit if you're just sort of stepping away from intelligent forces working against you and it's these unintelligent obstacles that you're sort of trying to get past. Right. Like like how to get food or how to get water in in a hostile environment. Right. Again, these are metaphors. Nature is something unintelligent, usually. If Gaia, as a spiritual force of the Earth, suddenly rises up and tries to wipe out humanity, it's no longer really man versus nature so much because the nature in this in this circumstance is um, intelligent and, and rational and sapient. But if a series of, of events take place that are uncontrollable and, and you're just trying to figure out on a mechanical, scientific level how to survive against it, that's that's where man versus nature really is typified. Yeah, and I think that if you're going to do like an a pure evil antagonist, um, you usually will want to structure it as a man versus nature a, as a man versus nature conflict because right. there's no there's no analytical portion to like why they're fighting, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, that's obvious to everyone. It's just good against evil. But if you want to make it rational fiction, you you want to focus on the concrete obstacles between them mm-hmm. so so you it you know the, these are like five very loose categories that overlap with each other to some degree but yeah i, th- I think that if you are doing man versus pure evil man mm-hmm. you you more want to do it as an impersonal force rather than them having a conversation about why kicking puppies is bad. Right. Same for aliens that have no morality that we can understand or don't communicate with us in any way, just trying to kill us. Same with like man versus Godzilla. If as long as the the force is purely destructive and evil, which Godzilla may not be the best example of that in some iterations, but overall, if it's just an unintelligent force that's causing destruction that we're trying to survive or find a way to stop, it's going to be man versus nature. Yeah. And doesn't necessarily need to be unintelligent so long as it's impersonal right impersonal is a better word yeah i mean mean, you expect it to be unintelligent Mm -hmm. um but highly impersonal is i think the biggest criteria there there's one more thing that i want to say about this before we move Mm -hmm. on to the next one survival stories have this weird thing to them that i've noticed which is that they they front load conflict so you have like your plane crashes and your immediate concerns are food and water and shelter, right? And so... Are you talking about how the early stages of the story tend to be harder than the later stages because yeah. you're, you're missing so much early on? Yeah, yeah. You're missing... Like, that's... Your drama is front-loaded because the the seriousness of the conflict tends to be front-loaded. That's like... There, there are ways to get around that. You can introduce, like... Uh, Robinson Crusoe introduces an antagonist partway through, mm-hmm. once once things have been sort of settled a bit. Right, um, things shift midway through the story to a man versus man versus, instead of man versus nature. Yeah, the Martian does an escape thing, escape mm-hmm. from Mars rather than just surviving on Mars. But I think that's a very I've tried my hand at survival fiction because I used to I used to love I had this book which is How to Survive in the Wild. I used to love that because I was like, yeah, I could like sharpen these stakes and make this like fish trap and uh-huh. so cool. But it's really hard to write survival fiction because of that 
that way that it's the drama is front loaded. It's kind of gamey in the sense of resource building games where early on you just like every action is so important because you're trying to maximize your survival with every bit of resources you get and every bit of resources you expend. But once you start building self-sufficiency and sustainability and things like that, it becomes easier to then survive unless the game starts upping the ante or introducing random variables like Storm's Hatchet has a few instances where kind of all the progress he's made is more or less wiped out. He has He's gained the skills and and experience now to reclaim what he's lost much easier. Yeah. And I always find the, the first, like, half hour or hour of a Minecraft game to be the best. Right. Because you're just starting from nothing, and there's so many things that you have to do rather than putting in self-imposed goals. Yeah. But I, I think that's one thing to keep in mind with Man Survival Nature. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. And the next category is man versus self, which is definitely the least tangible form of conflict in a story. Most stories have some element of flaw, a flawed character, right? Almost every story will have some flaw in the main character that they overcome or is holding them back and they need to find a way to, to deal with. Man versus self as a category is about more than just having, you know, a character flaw and overcoming it. It's about a sustained internal value conflict and when you've got a circumstance or setting where that negative trait is, is constantly being pushed against something, the most focus is going to be on the man versus self, even if there are other challenges that the character is facing. Yeah. And man versus self is like, a, it's a very common secondary or tertiary conflict within a story. And I, I think that's very, it's very good to have a, a flawed character because they're more interesting because there is that conflict. But if you want to make it the focus, it needs to be more than just something that we can universally agree is is bad, usually. Right. Like, if your main character is a coward, uh, the whole story can't... It's difficult for the main story to um, just be all about overcoming cowardice. Yeah. You can do it. Uh, I, Anytime that we speak in broad brushstrokes here that, you know, it's all in the execution. You, I'm sure that there are examples of, of ways that you can do it. But it's very common to see man versus self as an aspect of man versus society, which, you know, there, there are society-imposed traits and beliefs and values. And then there are the sort of internal self-discovered ones. And I think that Society acts as a catalyst a lot, a lot of times for internal conflict. A man, yeah, right, because the values within a person come from, in large part, society, uh, the people around us, or the society around us, the cultural narrative or zeitgeist that we're that we're immersed in. And when something happens in a person's life that makes them confront a, a value that they don't agree with anymore, or they want to change their personality because of the problems it's causing them, it tends to be. But it tends to also put them at odds with people around them. It's not purely a, a individual conflict. It's also a conflict between the main character and maybe their family, maybe their friends, maybe the police, uh, depending on what that what that conflict is about. So it's it's definitely something that is more than just a person thinking to themselves the entire story through. Right, and I think that some good examples here, like racism, is mm-hmm. a good man versus society conflict. Right, that's a place where society is in the wrong, mm-hmm. but you can do an in-depth exploration of it. But it's very easy to adapt that into a man versus self, like a hatred of the self or 
um, othering of the self, um, like a, a belief that you are wrong, or it's like a value that you hold that you're you're lesser than someone else. So either stories of a person who is being raised in a racist society who is a minority that's then struggling with the imposed inferiority that the others put on them might be one where they awaken and realize, you know, they don't want to think of themselves as lesser than anymore. Or even someone who is themselves raised as a racist and then in a racist family or racist culture and then meets someone of that race that changes their mind and now they have this conflict with themselves of like i know this you know thing must be true because everyone says it's true but i've i've experienced something that is now at odds with it how do i how do i reconcile these two conflicting values in myself yeah and uh, american history x is i think probably my favorite in that vein Mm -hmm. because it's man versus self and then once that change happens within the self it's man versus society and i think that's very common in to, to bridge it that way i think in a lot of young adult like dystopian fiction it, you know that that's abbreviated mm-hmm. that that like awakening of the self it's like oh i'm i'm different and society wants me to conform and i don't want to conform and they just you know they pass through it in right chapter rather than taking half a book or a whole book to sort of have this internal discussion. Right. Like you said, this is something that usually tends to be a, a subplot in most stories. Very few stories have it as the main central and only plot. The Anita Blake series by Lowell K. Hamilton, one of my favorite series, despite a number of issues that it has later on. And it has a polyamory subplot that I think it does very well. It handles very well. It starts out with the main character being very classical, traditional monogamist and gets into a love triangle situation sometime after the third or fourth book and she's trying to resolve it and at some point she resolves that and what makes it great as a series is that she doesn't just grow past that initial thing and then everything's great forever but new challenges continue to arise within within herself so she goes from monogamous to polyamorous but then she realizes that she has, say, jealousy when her boyfriends have other girlfriends, and she's like, okay, well, how do I deal with this new new problem that I'm having and this new conflict of values within myself? And it just continuously shows that character growth can is, is a continuous thing and can be a continuous thing. And even if it's secondary to the other conflicts in the story, like fighting monsters or saving people or whatever it is, you can have a good progress of a character through an internal value conflict. Yeah, and I think one of the things that rational fiction is good at, or at least should be good at, is finding internal values conflicts. I mean, just period, but then going in unexpected directions with them or finding the the interesting internal values conflicts. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if, if you're a coward and you, like, care more about your own life than someone else's, whatever, that's it's a very well-worn trope is for the protagonist to be a coward and then they like sacrifice their life at the end or whatever. And that's like, they're, they're coming past a character flaw. Right. But I think you can find a lot more interesting ones and a lot more unorthodox ones. Less binary ones, right. Ones that, that can be more layered and more thinky because it's very easy for us all to say definitively cowardice is bad, right. Or racism is bad. And most of the time, you know, within certain, cultures obviously uh most of the time these things can be agreed upon fairly easily uh even by people who don't necessarily agree but there are a lot of conflicts that people can have with themselves that isn't nearly as black and white and is much harder to 
demonstrate through other mediums to show like what the challenges are in growing past your fears or your anxieties or your internal conflicts. Yeah. And one of the newer ways those more complex internal struggles are being explored are in man versus technology stories, which is our fifth type of conflict. Yeah. As technology changes and society changes as a result, a lot of traditional values and social norms come into conflict with new ones. Examples of this would be someone who traditionally thinks that death is a normal or even desirable part of life, suddenly facing a world where no one has to die. Yeah, and I think when people make typologies of types of conflict, they usually go either three and they leave off man versus self as just a subcategory of man versus man. Um, or they leave off man versus technology is very common to do um, because they, they consider that part of man versus society or man versus nature. Mm-hmm. My argument for including it as a important fifth type is, first of all, it's, it's very relevant for rational fiction, which usually tends to be um, speculative fiction, science fiction. I, it, it can apply to magic as well, but that's less common. I guess I would say that the big difference between man versus technology and man versus nature is that the nature in man versus nature is usually, I mean, it's impersonal, but it's it also tends to be a negative, like mm-hmm. it's attacking or it's through its impersonality, it's sort of trying to physically degrade a person, whereas man versus technology is more progress-oriented, usually. Man versus nature tends to be against something that's unambiguously destructive or bad, whereas man versus technology tends to be about something that is, depending on how well-written the story is, either on its face good and then turns out to be terrible, or it's a complex dance of good and bad that the characters then have to struggle with and, and try to find the best way to move forward with. Man vs. Technology is definitely a story type that I think is becoming more common as technology advances. You know, we've had science fiction for over a century now, but because so much of the technology that used to exist only in science fiction is coming to the real world, we're now seeing people struggle with ideas and potential realities that have always been safely consigned to fiction. Yeah. And that's that's what makes Man vs. Technology stories so important, because you can really explore what the impact of, for example mind uploading or immortality or gene altering can be and why that can cause so much conflict for characters. Yeah. And I think that the early strains of it go back to the industrial revolution Mm -hmm. with like the Luddites who, you know, Ned Ludd is this sort of folk character who supposedly destroyed a lot of power looms Mm -hmm. or it was because the power loom put a lot of weavers out of work. And that is, you know, it's good because price of textiles starts dropping, but you know it's not unambiguously good because people are losing their jobs. Right, which is very relevant, you know, today because like manufacturing jobs have gone and they they didn't really get put overseas; they got automated away in a lot of ways. Right, like automation is really big in like China or India. They're not, you know, it's not minimum wage workers doing the bulk of the work, the bulk of it is automation. Right. So this can be a a man versus technology that has aspects of man versus society in it, where the changes in technology are causing changes in society that are causing people to have conflicts with each other, and it, it really blends everything together. And one of the things that makes man versus technology so unique is that sometimes the technology doesn't have to be conflict on a societal level, sometimes it's just on a 
personal level. So if there was a really there was a really great short story that I read where it, it basically tracks the life of an old woman who happens to live right on the on the cusp of when technology has a mini singularity moment and um she starts to see people do things like get you know body implants and have uh upload uh, parts of their their mind to clouds and you know she's constantly struggling with every step of it about how she's not politically conservative but as a conservative value of not trusting the new not trusting the cutting edge of of mystery that the technology represents and kind of she's a late adopter to all of it you know like she doesn't go into any of it immediately she's always worried about that next step but as the technology continues to evolve and and change the world around her she keeps taking little steps forward and noticing how much better her life becomes with that technology which is obviously a a rosy uh view of it but also an important one in a, in a world where so many people are still worried about you know driverless cars taking over the the roadways and saying you know what if my driverless car crashes me it's like well yes it could potentially crash you but the question isn't is it going to crash you is it, is it have a less chance of crashing than if there weren't driverless cars yeah and and i often think of man versus technology as man versus progress yeah which isn't quite fair but i, I take a fairly rosy view of technology yeah i think it's totally fair <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with saying that's a fair representation it's like there are definitely stories that handle it better than others so, you know, you don't want to dismiss the legitimate concerns that people can have about technology advancing, especially in certain fields like artificial intelligence. But there are stories that are better at representing it than others. So you can have, for example, Terminator, which takes just the worst possible way of representing a technology change to the point that's kind of poisoned the well. All everyone ever worries about is killer robots instead of the actual concern of artificial intelligence yeah, doing doing like a runaway intelligence explosion or... Ever-expanding hole in the Milky Way sort of thing. Right. And that's a problem that I think comes a lot from Hollywood more than, than books. But, you know, fair enough because it's harder to write a story to fit into two hours on the big screen about it. But, you know, people have tried and I think we're getting a little bit better at capturing the issue. But capturing the issue is just half of the battle because the solution to the issue isn't always clear-cut for everyone. Some people can can fully recognize what the issue is but still stumble at, and, that, and this is how we solve the problem, or, and this is what the next step would be. And that's why I think a lot of rational fiction can do very well with Mandra's technology because taking the time to best describe the problem in the best way and then provide potential solutions can help change people's minds about the upcoming technological changes that are approaching us. Yeah, and I think the the type of people who seek out rational fiction will tend to be more open to that ambiguity, not not just in technology but in other things. Mm -hmm. If you and that that's one of the reasons that Hollywood does, you know, Terminator is because it's complex, but it's also really ambiguous and and that's not great for conflict right as a driver of conflict it, it weakens down the conflict if you add that ambiguity in but i think that if you're seeking out rational fiction you will tend to be a little more comfortable with that ambiguity so long as it's a thoughtful ambiguity and and speaking of terminator there's one thing we should probably clarify is that terminator is not man versus technology yeah there are a lot of science fiction stories that are on the surface man versus technology but it's just a 
you know, they're using technology in such a way that it's just a stand-in for something else. Right, it's cover art. It's just yeah. it's just an aesthetic. Yeah, the the first Terminator film is just it's man versus nature. Yeah. It's this this cold impersonal force that does not do terribly much thinking and it's it's basically a slasher film. Yep. With with this Terminator stalking after Sarah Connor and the second and third movies are much more man versus society. Um so one one of the uh other typologies of conflict that uh, we're not going to get into is man versus fate or man versus God. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think there's probably a strong argument to, made, to be Terminator, made. Terminator. Yeah. It's yeah. about that too. Terminator sure. two and three are, are about that, or they're about fighting fate and eventuality and right. things like that. That's, it's, it's sort of a, a weird one. It's a corner case of, of, Conflicts. We'll talk about time travel slash prophecies and stories about God and supreme forces in another episode for sure. Yeah, and uh, you're you're on the record as as not liking prophecy. Not liking prophecy at all. No. Okay. Yeah. I, I am somewhat more tempered, but on the same side. Right. But yeah, we'll we'll get into that later. But so so man versus technology. You you don't want it to just be set dressing. Yeah. And, or me if you do want it to be set dressing then just be aware of that. Be aware of the fact that you're not actually going to be addressing the technology that much. You're just going to have it as this antagonist. And I would go so far as to say, if you're writing rational fiction, don't. Just, you know, av- avoid using settings as window dressing. Yeah. Use, like, if you want to write a man versus nature story, find a way to do it if you can, and you want technology and AI to be involved, find a way to do it that makes sense, right? Don't go the Terminator route of saying it's a monster created by AI because that does more to misinform than we'd probably prefer rational fiction to do. Yeah. I mean, there's a great, you know, we've, we've had a progression of perspective on sci-fi since the golden age of sci-fi where everything was going to be great and we'd have flying cars and jetpacks and land of plenty. And like you said, the Luddite movement kind of, is a counterforce to that. So much technology has caused so much ancillary negatives in society that we have a lot more negative sci-fi movies out now, negative sci-fi literature. Dresden Kodak is a, was a webcomic that did a really good... Caveman science fiction. Yeah. yeah. Dresden Kodak did uh, Caveman science fiction, which was a quick comic about how cavemen invent fire, and then he's like, look, I invented fire, and someone's like, no, you was go too far, you was play God. And then he say, I no care, I was make heat and warmth for all, and then the next panel is the whole world's on fire. And so that's kind of the, the perspective that modern people have on new technologies, and that's kind of the, the route that Hollywood takes the most often. And we would like to try to have a more middle-of-the-road perspective where we acknowledge the potential negatives of things like genetic engineering and and artificial intelligence but we don't want to present them as purely bad things that can have no positive and we don't want to present them as things that have easy solutions because they don't and we we need to have real conversations about it and that's something that i think rational fiction can do very well yeah i think one of the things that i've found in a lot of the rational fiction i read is that they tend to take too rosy of a view mm-hmm. of technology or progress in general, that it's just this universal good that um, I don't find terribly realistic. I tend to give people more leeway if they're being optimistic than pessimistic. Yeah. But um, it, it is one of those things that you need to, 
you need to be aware that man versus technology is an actual conflict. It's not universal good. Yeah, it's not another excuse to write a parable, like, you know, another fountainhead where the individual just is just purely good and progressive and technology is amazing and everyone else is wrong with their conservative blinders. You need to recognize like why there are potential problems in these technologies when mishandled or when misused, and why it's so complicated an issue to resolve them. Otherwise, the conflict in your story is going to be undermined by the scope of the setting you're in. I mean, you know, there are plenty of technologies that I am more than happy to see unequivocal advances in, um, despite the negatives that they have. Uh, genetic engineering is probably one of them that's going to have lots of very good short-term benefits and potential long-term negatives, depending on how certain people use them. But on the other hand, there's also other technologies that probably going to have a lot of short-term negatives, but long-term positives that we want to have a a different set of priorities of how we approach it with, because we want to make sure that if it's the kind of technology that's going to have a lot of short-term negatives, how do we best account for that and make sure that the harms it does don't damage too many people? And if it's something with a long-term negative but a short-term positive, it's the kind of thing that's, again, very complex and not it doesn't have an easy solution necessarily for how everyone can just live happily ever after. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you are including easy solutions in your story, you need to be aware that you don't have a conflict. Right. Yeah. Right. If, if you just introduce an unambiguously or you introduce a technology which everyone agrees is unambiguously good, there's no there's no conflict there. You're you have just, to create the Luddites. You have to make the, oh, we just want to smash everything. Um, because yeah. we miss our hand-painted tables or something. Yeah, it's, and it's very easy to make straw men, like I just did in that in that circumstance. Like modern luddites, I think would be more of the you know worried about jobs in a capitalist society and what we do with people who are unemployable with automated machines, rather than just purely negative on technology. I know a lot of people who are very much like we want automation to occur. We just are worried about the in the meantime what's going to yeah. happen with all the unemployed people. And again, that's the thing that long-term, great, positive things that everyone should be cheering for, short-term, some potential negatives that have to be dealt with. Yeah, I do think there is room for a more extremist view, so long as it's expressed intelligently. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Unabomber, if you've ever read The Industrial Society and Its Future, which was the Unabomber manifesto, um, it is not itself terribly intelligent, uh, but it draws from some very intelligent sources um, and makes a stronger-than-you-would-think argument against progress, basically. <laughs> but we'll talk about that and some other things next time when we do antagonists, Yep. how to build them. How to build them intelligently and how to build them in a compelling way. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for Episode 9, Antagonists. Antagonists.